Hello and welcome to the Talkie Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today we'll be chatting with Dr. Diego Fossati from the Griffith Asia Institute about a paper he's recently published titled Support for Decentralization and Political Islam Go Together in Indonesia. The paper is based on a survey conducted in May by the ICES Yusof Ishak Institute in Singapore, where Diego is also an associate fellow. Based on this survey data, we'll also discuss how support for political Islam correlates with broader political attitudes in present-day Indonesia. Diego, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hi. And a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Now, in this paper you've written, you've tested for a correlation between attitudes to political Islam and attitudes to decentralization based on the IC's survey data. Why test that correlation? What is the significance of it? Because we know from Indonesian history that these two things, uh, regionalism and, and political Islam, are closely associated. So traditionally, secularist nationalist leaders have tended to favor centralized governance, while political Islamists have been more supportive of regional autonomy. In the paper, I mentioned a couple of historical developments that are particularly important. Uh, most importantly, uh, regional rebellions that have occurred uh, in the early years of the Indonesian state, uh, such as the Darul Islam and rebellions in the 50s, they share precisely these two commonalities. On one hand, they are regionalists, they demand a greater autonomy from Jakarta, in some cases even secession, and they are Islamic. They support, they demand a greater role for Islam in the state. So this kind of historical developments have created a strong association in this country between political Islam and the support for, for decentralization. So uh, that's why I test this relationship. Uh, I find that it is positive. And I think this finding is relevant because it tells us that political Islam does shape policy preferences. Of course, it is nothing new that political Islam and the debate between secularism and Islam is important in Indonesia, but often we think of it as a mostly symbolic dimension, something that is only tangentially related to politics. And here it shows instead that it does shape policy preferences. You mentioned there's been this history of rebellions within Indonesia seeking to at times establish Islamic an Islamic state in, in parts of the country. I guess in more contemporary terms, how do you define political Islam and how have you measured it in the survey? Well, the way I think of it is basically I wanted to have an exhaustive measure of what I think the key ideological dimension in Indonesian politics, basically this dichotomy between secularism and political Islam. So I'm thinking of this as an ideological spectrum that ranges from one extreme where you have people who are very secularist, they don't see any role for Islamic politics, and at the other end you have highly Islamist people who believe public policies should be guided exclusively by Islamic teaching. So this is the conceptualization that I follow. It is a complex issue. It can't be reduced to a single question. So what we did is to basically to draft uh, seven different items, like different seven different questions, each of which tackles a specific aspect of Islam. So for example, uh, support for Sharia law or support for the idea that Islamic clerics should be more influential in politics, that Islam should be prioritized by the Indonesian state, and so forth. So we ask people whether they agree to these statements, and then you can calculate a simple average to have a, a composite index 
or uh, applying more sophisticated methods. But that's basically the idea. It's an ideological dimension, and we want to be able to position each respondent along this continuum. And I mean, what levels of support for political Islam did you find? Uh, we found overall a pretty high support for political Islam. I would say that the population, broadly speaking, is divided on these issues, but there is a preponderance of, of political Islam over more secularist attitudes. It also varies substantially across indicators. Some of them are very broadly supported. For example, 63% uh, of the people are in favor of harsher laws to punish blasphemy against Islam. There is also wide support for the idea that when voting in elections, uh, you should vote for, for Muslim leaders. Other statements that are more extreme, for example, Islam should become Indonesia's only official religions that are not widely supported. Like this statement, for example, only has 36% of supporters. And what about decentralization? I mean, you're looking at the correlation between political Islam and support for decentralization. How have you measured that? Yeah, decentralization is a complex issue. You can look at it from different perspectives. I am interested specifically in one aspect of the debate over decentralization, which is this tension between two things. So on one hand, to allow for allow regions to implement the policies they, they prefer according to their own local preferences. We think this is a good thing because uh, if a regional autonomy works well, you end up with policies that more closely mirror local preferences with policies that people want. However, on the other hand, if you leave complete autonomy to regions without checks of any kind, uh, you also risk having policies implemented at the regional level that are anti-democratic, that, uh, that are against the constitution. So you need this kind of balance between the two things. So the reason, the, the question I asked to our respondents is whether they agree with this principle that uh, regions should be allowed to implement the policies they prefer according to their own local preferences, needs, and conditions. And I track, I basically measure the degree to which our respondents agree with this. You found, I believe, 57% support for this ability to enact different laws in response to local needs and conditions. What sort of correlations did you find between support for political Islam and support for this power for local governments? Uh, the correlation was, uh, was fairly strong. I show in the paper that basically I divide our respondents in, in two groups, those who are supportive for political Islam and those who are uh, instead more, more secularist in, in their orientation. And I show that support for, for decentralization, for regional autonomy, varies substantially across these two groups. So no matter what specific indicator of political Islam we use, for example, whether people believe that the Indonesian state should prioritize the Islam, whether they, they, they believe that Islam, Islamic leaders should play a bigger role in policies and so forth, no matter what we use, we find one consistent pattern, which is that in more Islamist respondents, support for decentralization is systematically higher. So this is, uh, these are the data that I analyze in that paper to suggest a relationship between the two. Okay, and I mean, within that correlation, are there, I guess, patterns that emerge, differences between regions, between people of different backgrounds, or is this just fairly constant across all different groups and areas? 
Well, the correlation is fairly constant. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of variation, both across individuals and across different regions in Indonesia, in support for political Islam. So there you see that we have like uh, quite a bit of variation. So, for example, political Islam is higher in, in regions with that kind of historical legacy that I mentioned before of regionalist rebellions. And it is much lower in places with a substantial presence of a, of a, of a religious minority. And as for factors at the individual level, I find like that, you know, there is substantial variation in support for political Islam according to, to factors such as education, such as income and so forth. I mean, what is the variation there? Is it that the more educated you are, the, the greater support? The, what type of pattern are you seeing there? The strongest factor in terms of demographic factor, socio-demographic factor is education. We find that the most Islamic group by far in our sample is people who did not complete elementary school. These are people who are substantially more uh, Islamist than the rest of the population. It is consistent with a comparative literature suggesting that education has, if you will, uh, a liberal bias, so to speak, meaning that the more educated people, they are more likely to be exposed to, to, to the kind of diversity, the kind of experiences that fosters a greater like open-mindedness, they, they become more tolerant of different views, they're less likely to, to see things in, in black and white. So education does play a big role. Income a little bit too, although there are no differences between low-income respondent and the middle class. The only difference is between wealthier groups and the rest, better-off respondents tend to be more more secularist. And I also find that younger respondents are more supportive of political Islam. So older people, those who have been uh, socialized politically, they have come of age during the new order, or in some cases even before that, they tend to be more secularist than younger Indonesians who had their first experiences with politics in, in post-Suharto, in democratic Indonesia. Now, in the paper you've put out so far from this data, you've focused on the correlation between political Islam and support for decentralization. Uh, but I understand since you've started to look at correlations between support for political Islam and other types of political attitudes, could you talk us through some of the other correlations you found? There are two factors that I was looking at in particular. The first is ethnocentrism, which I understand broadly as a tendency to rely on ethnic prejudice to make sense of the social world. So in the survey, we focus specifically on ethnic stereotypes towards one ethnic group in Indonesia, which is the, the Indonesian Chinese. So it is perhaps more accurate to treat this as an index of anti-cynicism, although the two things, anti-cynicism and, and a more general ethnocentric tendency are strongly correlated. What I find is that people who agree with stereotypes about the ethnic Chinese, such as tropes uh, describing the ethnic Chinese as being excessively ambitious or greedy or being disloyal to Indonesia or having an excessive influence in the Indonesian economy, people who agree with this they tend to score more highly in our political Islam index, which is again re uh, resonated with Indonesian history as anti-cynicism has uh, overlapped with political Islam often. And of course, this issue is also related to economic inequalities between Kribumi Indonesian and the ethnic Chinese. The second thing I look at 
I find that Islamists tend to be more supportive of a bigger role of the state in the economy. People who score higher in, a, in political Islam, they tend to be more supportive of the idea that the government should spend more on the poor, even if it means having higher taxes, it should set a prices of stable food, should provide unemployment benefits, and so forth. So I think this resonates with the debate we're having now on, on Islamic populism. So the idea that political Islam in Indonesia has found fertile ground among people who feel they have been left behind, who feel uh, economic growth and neoliberal policies have been inequitable, they have not delivered sufficiently on, on the expectations that they had. So it looks like there is a higher demand for redistribution, a higher skepticism of the market economy among Islamists, whereas secularists, they tend to be more pro-market, more laissez-faire. Okay, so if you're saying support for political Islam is essentially the same between poorer people and the middle class, that demand for redistribution will be something that spanned both those economic strata. That's, that's exactly right. It doesn't seem to be rooted in specific social differences in, their, in, in terms of class. It's more of, a, of an ideological thing. Of a, it's more of a, it's an attitudinal measure about what the government should be doing in the economy. So it's not necessarily rooted in, a, in specific socioeconomic inequalities. I guess on the flip side, were there correlations that intuitively you might have expected to see between support for political Islam and other attitudes, but in fact weren't borne out in the data? Yes, one thing I, I looked into was the relationship between political Islam and nationalist sentiments. Sometimes we think of nationalism in Indonesia as, as being eminently secularist, just because historically national leaders have tended to come from that end of the ideological spectrum. Uh, sometimes we think of, of Panchazila, Indonesia's official ideology, as an ideology that can be emphasized to, to counter, to, to contain political Islam. Uh, we know it has been that way during the New Order, for example, uh, where Panchazila was used to marginalize political opponents, both leftists and Islamists. However, in the data, I don't find that uh, respondents who are, are more likely to endorse like nationalist statements, nationalist views, are actually more secularist. There is no really a relationship between the two. I also I don't find that Islamic individuals are more likely to oppose Panchazila, its status as Indonesia's national ideology. So I think this raises some interesting questions about the nature of Indonesian nationalism that could be investigated in further research. It looks like for many Indonesian Muslim, being a good Indonesian and being a good Muslim, there are two things that strongly overlap. They go together. So having strong nationalist sentiments appears, at least from what I see in the data, to be fully compatible also with a strong support for a big role for Islamic politics. Now, on this ideological division or, or spectrum, I think you called it earlier, between essentially secularism through to sort of Indonesians who would support Islam as essentially the, the basis of policymaking. I guess, how does your data help us to understand how this divide has played out in practice in Indonesian politics? Do we see visible empirical manifestations of the correlations between support for political Islam and other political attitudes in the actual political behavior of Indonesians or in political outcomes that we're seeing at present? 
And one thing is party choice, like what, what kind of parties people choose from in elections. So uh, we see that secularist respondents are much, uh, much more likely than uh, Islamist respondents to to choose like two parties that we usually think of as being more secularist than than others. These parties are the PDIP and and Nasdem. On the other hand, we also see that strong Islamists by far prefer PKS. They are much, much more likely to, to vote for PKS as a political party. And again, this is a, a party that we usually think of as being the, the most Islamic in the Indonesian political landscape. There, there is some, uh, some relation to behavior in that respect. Although it is not perfect, you don't see a systematic difference between uh, Islamic and secularist parties. But again, this extreme case suggests that something is, is going on. The second thing, we find that political Islam is significantly higher among respondents who strongly disapprove of Jokowi as, as a president. So this suggests that there is a relationship between that and uh, um, Islam and, and support for the president. The last thing I would say is that we find a strong association between the political Islam index and political knowledge. So people who know more about politics are substantially more likely to be secular. And this is after controlling for education. So to me, this suggests that there might be some systematic difference, perhaps in political interests or perhaps in sources of information or in strategies for acquiring information about politics between more secularist and more Islamist uh, individuals. Okay, I guess I'll go first to the data you had on support for political parties, where as far as I understand, you're saying you see the influence at the extremes that those are particularly secular, choose parties at the secular end of the spectrum like PDIP and those who are particularly Islamist in outlook, indeed choose the most Islamic parties like PKS. Now, uh, I guess uh, previously we've seen research by, uh, and I apologize in advance, I'm sure I'll mispronounce their names, uh, Faylad and Medinia, who have highlighted that many more Indonesians express preferences for Islamic law or for open intolerance in surveys than actually go and vote for the Islamic parties who are most closely offering policies that, that would bring about those outcomes. I mean, could you say then that attitudes to political Islam only really determine vote choices at those extremes and, and are less influential in the in the middle? Or, or is that going, I guess, is that drawing too long a bow from the data? Yeah, I guess like this is a good characterization, I think, of what I find, meaning that if you run an easy test and if you look at these like two extremes of the political spectrum, so the highly secular is one, which is basically PDIP, and the highly Islamist one, PKS, uh, you find indeed that voters sort into these two extremes exactly how you would expect them to. However, if you look at a broader range of parties uh, that uh, we usually think of non-ideological or personalistic, like Godkar, Partai Democrat, Garindra, you don't really find there that there is a systematic difference between Islamic and non-Islamic parties. And again, if you look at the ideology of individual voters, you don't find that, say, voters of an Islamic party like PKB are not necessarily, actually are not more Islamic than voters of Golkar. They are definitely not more Islamic than voters like Partai Democrat and so forth. So 
important. There is a connection between party choice and ideology, but it's a loose one. And I guess still on the empirical manifestations of these sorts of political attitudes, there's an interesting piece of research being done by Elizabeth Pisani and Michael Bueller that has looked at the pattern of enactment of Sharia bylaws uh, across Indonesia's districts and basically argued that there is a difference in the pattern of their enactment between areas that did have these historic Islamist rebellions and, and areas that don't have that history. Is there then a relation between the sort of survey data you've generated and the research that they've done, do you think, in terms of understanding why you might see those variations between regions in the enactment of those bylaws? That's an interesting piece of research you mentioned. To me, the most important takeaway of, the, of this work is that what we usually refer to as, as Sharia law is not tied to a specific set of policies or a certain specific institutional arrangement. It varies a lot. It depends. Sharia means different things to different people. There is a lot of regional variation, and this is why when we measure political Islam, we don't only ask about Sharia, but also like about a lot of other things. As for the effect of specific subnational historical trajectory, that is an open question that I could explore in the data. It might suggest that the relationship between political Islam and preferences over decentralization is more complex, that it might vary across region and this kind of historical trajectory could be significant. Uh, but the argument I, I explore in the paper and from this preliminary analysis that, that I have made is that uh, you don't see this kind of moderating role for a regional history. The relationship is fairly strong across the board, regardless of where uh, responders are located. You don't really see that it varies across uh, province. What you see is, of course, as I mentioned, that these provinces that have that kind of history, they tend to be the places where you have a much higher concentration of political Islamists, just because of the specific preferences or political culture, if you will, in those provinces. But it doesn't mean that the relationship is systematically different there. Turning to a slightly different issue, uh, I mean, in recent years in Indonesia, uh, as organizations like the Satara Institute have kept data on incidents of violent religious intolerance, and I guess with a very large Islamist mobilization in opposition to the Jakarta governor Ahok after the accusations of blasphemy against him. We've seen strong concerns expressed in commentary within Indonesia and also internationally that you're seeing rising, be it conservatism, exclusivism, or indeed Islamism. Now, I mean, obviously your survey is a point-in-time measurement, but are you able to compare it to earlier data sets or survey data in a way that would allow us to understand whether support for political Islam is changing over time in Indonesia at the moment and whether its correlation to other political attitudes could also be changing? Yeah, this, this, this is an interesting question. As you say, our survey does not allow um, like a, this kind of a longitudinal perspective, although we, we might be able to... Uh, implemented again in the future. Uh, but there is quite a bit of data that suggests that allows to track these changes over time. Now, one thing that we know for sure is that Islamic piety, religiosity in Indonesia is on the rise. People are increasingly religious. The number of mosques is growing. Islam seems to be gaining important, increasing in social life. It, it orients consumption styles in many areas, like from finance to fashion and so forth. 
However, uh, to me, like the implications of this trend for politics are, are unclear. Like for one, existing research does not suggest that there is a connection between higher religiosity and uh, higher intolerance or religious minorities or even like violence. So that there isn't, there is really no evidence of this sort of connection. Uh, so my sense is that if there are changes in the direction of increasingly increasing religious intolerance, they, they may be limited and perhaps contained, uh, limited to certain socioeconomic groups rather than being like uh, widespread in the Indonesian population. As for the implications of increasingly religiosity on attitudes over the role of Islam, which is basically what we measure with the index, that's a complex question. In our survey, we see that more religious people are a little bit more supportive of political Islam, are a little bit more conservative, but the correlation, I should say, that is not as strong as the one we find for sociodemographic factors like education and uh, income or information even and so forth. So there is a relationship, but again, it might be complex and it might be confined to specific segments of the population. Okay. I mean, that, that's interesting itself, but I guess putting aside this question of whether increased religiosity spurs increased support for political Islam, if we just look at support for political Islam itself, is there earlier survey data that would give us a sense of whether support for the various measures of political Islam that you've used in your survey are increasing or decreasing over time? I would be expecting, yeah, I would expect an increase over time in these indicators if, if we had a longitudinal data. I am not sure, like, I would be able, I don't think I have, like, strong expectations on the extent uh, of this increase. I, I don't think it uh, it would have increased, like, dramatically. I think, you know, a lot of what is driving this debate on re growing religious intolerance is, I think it's about, like, political elites opportunistically exploiting prejudice against minorities rather than uh, this sort of, like, broad uh, sociocultural trends you are uh, you are alluding to. The case of Jakarta has played a big role, but it's it's hard to disentangle radical Islam from nativism, in that case, uh, or ethnocentrism, prejudice against the Chinese, as I mentioned, the two things are closely related, and it's just hard to extrapolate from Jakarta to the whole country. So, you know, Jakarta is very special, the governorship is a crucial position in Indonesian politics, and a lot of Indonesians are just not comfortable with having an ethnic Chinese in a position of, of such prominence. So thinking of the question you just asked, if we had comparative data, uh, would we find that Indonesians today are more opposed now than they were, say, 10 years ago to having a Chinese Indonesia in, in that sort of position? I, I don't think so. And we have a question in the survey, actually, that looks into this. We ask respondents, if they are comfortable having a Chinese as a political leader, like a governor, a bupati, or a minister in the Indonesian government, 64% openly admit that no, they are not comfortable with that. It's a very high number. And there might be a hawk effect, so to speak, but I think it's hard to attribute this very high value to, to short-term developments. It seems to be much more eradicated than that. Obviously, you, you've explained that, you know, many different strands come together to produce a single political event or, or mobilization, and the Jakarta gubernatorial election is a, is a fantastic example of that. I guess, though, does your data give us some sense of uh, trends we might expect in 
elections coming up in Indonesia, both next year for mayors and governors and in 2019 for the legislature and the, and the presidency. The sorts of correlations you're seeing between political Islam and other political attitudes, do you have a sense of how that might play out in those elections? Yeah, it's, I guess it's it's hard to make like precise predictions, but I, I see in general, like based on the survey and not only the survey, I see ideology, I think, becoming a more important factor in political competition in Indonesia. So we come from about 10 years in which the primary feature of Indonesian politics, as described by many, was that it is transactional, it's clientelistic. I think this is changing a little bit. We, we might be experiencing experiencing right now peak money politics. Money politics is all idea of uh, politics as being highly transaction, transactional might have reached its peak now and uh, we might be moving towards a scenario in which ideology may be more influential in voting behavior for, for a lot of Indonesians. Of course, this does not mean that, you know, we're going to see more differences across political parties, more programmatic differentiation and so forth but I think it might be happening. And I also think we're going to see people as being more likely to consider the performance of incumbent politicians when they decide whether or not to vote for them. So I don't look at this specifically with the survey data, but I have recently published an article in the Journal of Contemporary Asia where I do just that. I compare voting behavior in local elections in Picada in three cities, Medan, Samarinda, and Surabaya, and what they find is uh, that evaluations of local government performance are a very important driver of voting behavior in two of these three cities. So uh, we may be seeing in the future more of that and more of voting based on ideology rather than on narrow, like pocketbook, fa pocketbook factors and uh, narrow materialistic interest. Diego, it's been fascinating and I certainly hope you do get the chance to conduct further iterations of your survey in the future so we can talk more directly about changes over time. For the moment though, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been great. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Diego Fossati, Research Fellow at Griffith Asia Institute, Associate Fellow at ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute, and author of the recent paper, Support for Decentralization and Political Islam Go Together in Indonesia. You'll find a link to that paper on the page for this episode at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. The entire Talking Indonesia archive is of course also available at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, where you can subscribe via iTunes or your favourite podcasting app. Talking Indonesia will return on 23 November with Dr. Charlotte Satyadi. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.